week, we kind of opened up the service and opened up the whole series with discussing what real love is, right? And what it, what it actually means. And we, we started that off by discussing the weakness in the English language, even with the phrase, love like Jesus. We have to question, what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that love likes Jesus? Or does it mean love like Jesus? And therein is the weakness in the English language, because we're saying love, maybe a person or a thing, likes Jesus, like I like bacon, or love bacon, rather. Um, or are we saying love like Jesus, which means love in a way that is comparative to the way that Jesus loved? And so the English language uses a particular word, like, uh, for multiple meanings. It has multiple definitions, and I think that's the, that's the weakness in our language. But the Greek, which is what the, the Bible is originally written in, the New Testament anyway, was written in, uses words that are very specific. And when we look at words like love, the very specific words that are used are these words. In the Greek, it is phileo, which is like a brotherly kind of love, or the way that you would love your children. And then there is eros, which is kind of the way you would love your spouse. It's kind of a romantic love. And then there is the word agape. And all three of these mean love. And so when the translators read them, they just put the word love. But it's important for us to understand what kind of love it is when we're reading the Bible. And so it's important to look at the original Greek text at times. And, and of course, that's what we've done. And so when we say love like Jesus, the agape love means to love in a way that is unconditional. It's a love that we described and found the description of in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. We'll put that up on the screen so you can see it. But it says, love is patient. This is agape love, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And to live this life of agape love, that kind of love for somebody, you would have to agree that that would require you to pour out of yourself, right? For the sake of others. That will cost you something to love in that way. And, uh, and so we also, so in looking at this whole series, it's kind of following our mission statement around here, right? Which is love God, love people, and serve the world. So last week we looked at the love God, what it meant to love God. This week we're looking at love people. And, um, and next week we will look at serve the world. And of course our mission statement comes, and I'm just giving you some foundational work so you understand where we've been and where we're going today. It's in Matthew 22, 36-39. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The first, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So last week we tackled the love God portion of our mission statement and the first part of this verse with the love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And this week we'll examine the love people and the second half of the verse that says to love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, with the title being, of course, of the series being Love Like Jesus, we are looking at all of this through the eyes and the teaching and the life of Jesus. As his disciples, that's what we need to do is always look at things through Jesus. And so first we're going to look at what Jesus taught about loving people. This is what he taught. This is what he said, okay? And I think the greatest summary of what Jesus taught about loving people is found in the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody here familiar with the Good Samaritan? That's because the story and the truth found in the Good Samaritan like far surpass any kind of religion or faith that we have. These are 
stories that are told and everybody understands there's even a good Samaritan law, right? And that's like built right into our laws and it's taken from the scriptures and that law is that, that you can't get in trouble for helping somebody. You can't get sued because you jumped out of your car because somebody was bleeding on the side of the road and you made it worse. You know, it's just, that's what the good Samaritan law is. So this is, this is where that story comes from. If you've never heard it, I'm going to read it to you. Um, but first let me say this. If you need a Bible, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. If you just put your hand in the air, let us know that you need one. We will put one in your hands. This is our gift to you. We love you. We're thankful that you're here. So if you'll just let us know you're here and need one, we'll get you one. The verses, of course, will be up on the screen as well. Okay, great. All right, so Jesus was teaching one day, and a man approaches him to ask him the following. Now, I want you to note that the man who approaches him is an expert in the law. This is a guy who should know the answer to the question he's asking. But he's asking Jesus in order to trip him up, which is what they did in Jesus' day. Jesus arrived on the scene and he was like this revolutionary guy who was actually living the love that they were telling everybody to live under, right? And so this guy's trying to trip him up. And so we're in Luke 10. And the, verse, or chapter, or the verses are 25 through 37. So Luke 10, 25 through 37. I'm going to read it all and we'll go back over it, okay? So stay with me. It's a lot of text today. And uh, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I love this response. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so let me unpack. It's a lot of stuff. If it's your first time hearing it, I promise you I'll explain some of the things that are happening in there. Just go with me, okay? So this, law, this, this expert in the law is trying to trip Jesus up. And he asked Jesus the most important question. What's the most important law or rule? And Jesus answered him, what do you, th- what do you think? I love Jesus is always teaching, always giving an opportunity for, to see what's in your heart. And so the guy answers and he answers correctly. But notice what the verse says, that he wanted to justify himself. This guy probably had a dispute with somebody. He probably had an argument or a battle with somebody and he wanted to justify himself and say, I'm right, this guy's wrong, I don't need to love him, this is exempt from the law, okay? He's trying to find a loophole. Isn't that what lawyers do? They find the loophole and this guy's looking for it, okay? And Jesus, so he asked him, who's my neighbor? Because whoever his neighbor is determined who he needed to love, right? Because you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So Jesus doesn't even answer him. In typical Jesus style, he tells a story. 
which is just great. He just answers, doesn't even answer the question directly. He tells a story and then asks a question, which you will find him do over and over again. And the story he tells is a very simple story. But you need to understand that Jesus was talking in terms of everybody that was there at that time. We're ta- he's talking to Jews. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to people that are experts in the law, right? And so when he tells his story, the story begins with a Jewish man leaving Jerusalem to go to Jericho. The only reason to do that would be to do business, okay? And so this we assume, <coughs> even though Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is a Jewish guy. Why is that important? I'm glad you asked. I'll get there in just a second, okay? But we know that this was a Jew, all right? And that he was leaving Jerusalem to go to Jericho. And he's attacked, he's robbed, he's stripped of his clothes, he's laying naked on the road, and he's half dead. Now, it's important to notice the very first person who comes walking by. And who is it? It's a priest, right? And you would think that a priest would know better. Now, all priests during this time were of the tribe. There are 12 tribes of Israel, and they were all Levites, okay? So this guy is versed in the law. His whole life, everything he's done all his life has been about understanding, knowing the law, and executing the law, and knowing that he should love people as he loves himself, okay? He knows that. But he's walking down the road and sees this guy on the other side and decides to go to the other side of the road and pass on by and not help him. Now, you need to understand that Jesus during this time was also addressing the Pharisees who were living this way. He was pointing them out. He was calling them on the carpet because this is what they were doing during that time. Priests or the Pharisees or the the religious leaders of the day wouldn't do anything unless they were in public and people saw them. When they fasted, the Bible says that they disfigured their faces and held their bellies and, oh, I'm so hungry, because they were fasting. They wanted people to see them. When they gave, they made such a big ordeal about it that they were giving so much money when they gave it in the offering that everybody saw it. When they prayed, they prayed in public corners and on the porches of the temple so that people saw them. So here's a priest who has the opportunity to love somebody, but nobody's around. So why would he stop? And he doesn't. The next man to come along is a Levite. Now I said that all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are necessarily priests. All Levites were called to minister to God in the temple or in the tabernacle in some way, shape, or form. So that meant all of them were well-versed in the law. We're talking about priests would be the boss and the Levites who were not priests were administrative assistants. Okay? That's basically what we're looking at here. Okay? And so a Levite who also should know better, Jesus is calling him out as well. And he comes by, should love, but doesn't, and keeps on walking. The third character in the story is the important one because Jesus always had a way of telling a story that would make people feel uncomfortable. You need to understand who a Samaritan was to the Jews. If you don't know, let me give you a little bit of history. But I love what Jesus does because he goes right to the heart of the matter. Let me just give you something free. If you want to fix something, don't address behaviors, address the heart. Because if you address the heart, you'll fix the behaviors. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's going the quick route. I think we have a tendency, like when our kids, maybe for example, when our kids are disobeying, we want to address the behavior. Don't do this. Don't do that. But if we get to the heart, the the things that they're doing will stop. Right? And so Jesus goes right for the heart of these guys. And he chooses to tell the story with a Samaritan when he could have just said a wealthy businessman or somebody from Egypt. He could have used anybody. But he chose a Samaritan. And here's why he did it. Here's some history. Sorry if this bores you, but I think it's awesome. All right. There's a north and a south kingdom in in Israel. They got divided. They used to all be under one banner, the 12 tribes. 
The north and the south got divided. That means there was a king of the north and there was a king of the south. Samaria was one of the, became one of the capital cities. That's where the Samaritans would come from. And Jerusalem remained the capital city of the, of the, uh, of the south, I believe. I may have that wrong. My historians will check me later and let me know. But I believe that Jerusalem was the capital of the south kingdom, okay? And so Samaria, at one point in time, the king of the north started to worship different idols and turned away from God. When he turned away from God, there came a time where God allowed punishment to come for that behavior and the Assyrians took them over. The north kingdom fell to the Assyrians. And when that happened, the Jews that were living there locally began to intermarry with the Assyrians. They began to take wives and to have children. And so something else you need to know about the Jews is they're a little bit of elitists, right? I'm not saying that they hated any kind of people group necessarily, but they all they didn't mingle with anybody else. They were God's chosen people and they all stay together. You weren't supposed to marry the Assyrians. You weren't supposed to do that. And so when the Jews of Samaria began to do that, they started, all the rest of the Jews started calling them half-breeds or dogs. And so the Samaritans became a people to them that they would not even associate with because, not because they were different, like a different country, but because they had broken the laws. They, they had violated what Moses had told them to do. And so they are now hated. So the Samaritans are not even, you're not even allowed to associate with them because of the, the I don't know, the, 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 the disgusting thing that they allegedly did, according to the Jews, right? I'm not calling it that. I'm just saying that's, what they, that's how they felt about it. And so Jesus chooses a Samaritan, a Samaritan, somebody that all of the Jews would have hated. And this Samaritan had mercy on a Jew. Every single one of them listening to Jesus crossed their arms and sat back. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Don't touch me. If I'm dead, leave me alone. Mm-mm. Don't you touch me, Samaritan. Right? He went right to the heart of them. Said, nope, we're going to touch that right there. Because the man, remember the man is asking, who is my neighbor? And so the Samaritan is the one who has compassion and has mercy. The Samaritan would have been considered the scum of the earth. And an an enemy who should have spat on him, on the guy on the ground, the Jew, or finished him off. Because remember, he was half dead. Instead, he chose to have mercy. And uh, I want you to notice this, just to show you how much disdain the Jews had for him. At the end of that selection, the last last part of it, uh, go go down one for me on on that screen. I want you to see this. Down one. Can we go down on the, on the verse? Well, anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Nobody. All right. I'll just tell you what it says. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, one more. He says, which one of these do you think was the one who had mercy, right? Or, or uh, was the one who, would, who treated him like his neighbor? And, and he said, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. This guy, this Jew, can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. So much disdain for them that he can't even say the Samaritan. He says, the one. You know, you guys all have been there, right? That guy. That guy. That's what he's doing. So much disdain for him. Everybody's now mad at Jesus, once again. Because he told him a story about a guy who should have hated the Jews. And yet, here he is having compassion and mercy. It's not just about having compassion and mercy. It's about having compassion and mercy on your enemy. Jesus said, that guy. That guy's obeying the law. Nobody likes to hear that stuff. Anyone here remember how old you were when you first heard the golden rule? Anybody know what the golden rule is? 
Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? And so as a kid, I remember hearing that and learning that, right? And so you go, oh, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Okay, I understand what that means. So you start going out and you start doing that to others like you'd have them do unto you. But you quickly learn that just because I'm being kind to you does not mean you're going to be kind to me. You know, one of the most popular words around my house was mine, mine, mine. And no matter how giving I would be, the other person would not be giving back. And so you learn like, oh, well, I'm going to do unto them, but they're not going to do unto me. So this is crap. This does not work this way. And you just kind of discard it, right? But that's not what it says. It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, I'm going to treat you like I want to be treated. Now, I think it's better said, the golden rule should be better said, do to others what you would have them do to you regardless of how they treat you. Because that's how we're supposed to live, right? We are not supposed to to treat them a certain way based on how they treat us. Period. End of story. Thank you for that. And so this is the kind of love that Jesus was teaching us to have for others. And this is exactly what we see played out in the story of the Good Samaritan. A love that was given with no expectation of return. He gave it because that is how he wanted to be treated. The Samaritan did. And when in all likelihood he knew that it would not be returned. Now if this guy's half dead, he has no idea that a Samaritan is taking care of him until he wakes up. Can you imagine how changed his life would be? That the racism or that the, that the, the walls he had up against the Samaritans This is a guy who went back and was all of a sudden a big fan. You know what I'm saying? Because love was shown to him in a way that he never would have shown somebody else. Changes people. So this is the kind of love Jesus taught, right? So you know as well as I do that it's easy to say something and not always easy to do it. So it's important that we not only look, all right, this is what Jesus said, but did Jesus live it out? Yes, he did. Thank you for asking. Here we go. This is how he actually lived it out. And, uh... Something I want you to note here about the Samaritan. It says that when he saw him, he took pity on him. When the Samaritan saw the man laying on the side of the road, he took pity on him, right? And this man was watching. He was looking. He had oil and wine with him. He was prepared to serve somebody, some need. He was ready. And Jesus was the same way. We're going to look at Matthew 14, 14. And I want you to see the comparison between what the Samaritan did and when, when he saw him and what Jesus did. Uh, when, and when Jesus landed and saw, notice that word saw, he saw them. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus had an ability to see people's needs. And not only to see them, but he allowed himself to be moved with compassion. When you look at somebody or something long enough, you can't help but begin to feel their pain. And that's what compassion is. I think that if you are compassionless, I think that as a church, that as a people that are being led by the Spirit, we must pray regularly. God, help us to be moved with compassion. And more than that, help us to see people's needs. Help us to see them. Compassion is the emotion that we feel in response to the suffering of others that motivates a desire to help. In the English language, it literally means to suffer together with That's compassion. And when you have compassion, you're feeling that pain. You're suffering with them, whether it's actually your pain or not. So in other words, Jesus, when he saw them, is literally feeling their pain. And sometimes, I know for me, it's very, very easy. And this is just an easy scenario, and I know you all have been there. You ever walk downtown, 
in any major city at all, whether it's Columbus or D.C. where I was a couple weeks ago at all. You see people. You see things. You see brokenness. You can just be in the halls of your school. You can be at work. You see brokenness. You can be in your neighborhood and see brokenness. And I don't necessarily mean the homeless or the ones that are strung out on drugs, laying on the side of the road. I don't mean that necessarily, although those people need love and help as well. The brokenhearted, the ones that have just been, you know, marriages falling apart. Children are, are raising hell in the home. Whatever it may be, there are people who are broken. And we get to see them everywhere we go. But it's really easy. And I know for me, walking down a city street, when I see somebody coming towards me or I see somebody, it's really easy for me to see them and go, whoa, I'm going to go walk on this side of the street. I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to look at them. Because I know me. I know what happens if I look too long. I go, oh, my heart just breaks. If I see them, my heart just breaks. And I'm moved to do something for them. And it's awesome. It's cool. When, you're, when you pray, though, for the eyes to see people's needs, it's not always the same need that you see that they need met. Does that make sense? When I was in D.C. a couple weeks ago, I was out in front of the church, and a guy comes walking up to us and says, Mister, I was in conversation with another pastor. There's tons of pastors out on the street, and he comes up to me and he says, Hey, I, I lost my bus pass. I've got a job, but I lost my bus pass. And I need some money. I need $10 to get a bus pass. Can you help me out with anything? And I said, sure, I can help you. But I knew, I knew, and I gave the Holy Spirit opportunity to show me, to reveal to me, whatever it was. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Joe. I'll bet that guy's never had anybody ask him his name when he's, when he's asking for money. I said, hey, Joe, my name's Aaron. I shook his hand. I said, is there anything I can pray with you about, Joe? And Joe said, yeah. And Joe began to rattle off things. And I said, great. I said, I'm going to pray with you right now. And I put my hand. We're standing on the streets of D.C. And I prayed with this dude. And I hugged him. And I said, I'm thankful for you, Joe. God bless you, dude. He took the money that I gave him and he walked down the street. Now, I guarantee you there are very few people that would do that for me. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm just saying that. They think the need was the money. The need was not the money. He needed Jesus. He needed to know that he was loved. And I touched him. I loved him. Hugged on him. Sent him on his way. Sometimes people's needs are not exactly what they're telling you. And so Jesus, we know if we don't look, we can't be moved. And so in our own selfishness sometimes, or maybe we're in a hurry, we've got a schedule to adhere to, or the kid's got to be to basketball, or whatever it is. Whatever reason it is, we don't look because we don't want to be moved. We don't want to have to be responsible. We don't want to have to do something. But Jesus, thank God, is not that way. He isn't like us. His agenda is the Father's agenda. And luckily for us, that agenda is us. God's agenda is us, period. End of story. And Jesus is moved by compassion for us because he sees us. He sees us. He knows our needs. He's praying for us. Even as sinners, before we accepted his gift of salvation... The Bible says he died for us. Just blows my mind. I'm sorry. I could hang out there all day long. I got a, I got a sermon to stick to. We're going to stick to the sermon. All right. So let's look at some of the things Jesus did. And by implication, of course, there are things that we need to do. And it's all going to be wrapped up in this verse. Mark 1, 40 through 42. And it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. He saw him, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will 
beat out clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was clean. Here again, we see Jesus moved with compassion towards action again. And it's important that you understand the scene. This is not just some dude laying in a hospital bed who was sick. He was a leper. The lepers were not allowed to approach people like this. And it says that the leper came up to Jesus. You need to understand that everybody that was walking with Jesus immediately dispersed. They were gone. We're out. They smelled the leper coming from a mile away because this guy's got rotting flesh. He's dying. His skin, he is dying. He's a leper. And they would have smelled him. They would have seen him. They would have known that there was a leper coming. And this guy walks up to Jesus, which is not something he's supposed to do. He breaks protocol. And Jesus does something amazing. He stretched out toward the leper. That's what the verse says. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand. I believe that sin is a disease that is much like leprosy. Leprosy eats away at you you and causes you to rot. And that sin slowly rots the life out of people to the point of death. And just like Jesus, we must stretch out to love people right where they are. Regardless of their sin, regardless of their attitudes, regardless, we are to stretch out to them. And I think sometimes we view people who are living in unrepentant sin, or let's put it this way, people who sin differently than we do. People who sin different than we do. We look at them and we go, nah, you're not worthy of that. We want them to stay on this side of the church and we're going to sit over here. Or we want them to come to our events, but we don't want them to come to our homes. Or, you know, we, we, they don't smell like us. They don't live where we live. They don't drive the cars we drive. We aren't stretching out. We take a stance against their sin, labeling them worse than our own and demand they have lesser rights, lesser worth, and push them into a colony much like the lepers were treated. That's what we do. That's not what we're supposed to do, though. But that isn't what Jesus did. He was known for spending time with the worst thought of people in society, those labeled as dirty, unlovable, and worthless. Jesus stretched out to them, and we're supposed to do the same. And when Jesus stretched out, it says that he also touched them. He touched people's lives. The verse says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him. Now, you need to know this, that in order for Jesus to heal this man, he was not required to touch him. We have other verses in the Bible where Jesus healed somebody from like 18 miles away. He spoke a word. It was not necessary for Jesus to touch him, to heal him. And everybody watching would have just been like, it would have been a really big moment of drama as Jesus touched this guy. And you you also need to know that this word touched is not like a casual touch. That when you go to the Greek, which we've been doing, when you go to the Greek and you look at what this word touch means, because touch means, you know, it could be this or whatever. This word touch was like full on embrace. Jesus touched this guy, not because he needed to to heal him, but because the leper needed him to. The leper is an outcast. The leper probably hasn't been touched by anybody outside of his own colony in years. And yet Jesus touches him, letting him know he's not afraid. Letting him know he's not afraid of what he's got or that he's going to get it. Jesus touches him. To touch a leper meant that you became ceremonially ceremonially unclean. It meant you could not go into the temple and worship. There are all kinds of implications and problems with this for you to touch a leper. Lepers had to call out, unclean, unclean, so that you didn't get near them. But Jesus touches them. 
The leper didn't need healing as much as he needed acceptance. Touching would have meant so much to this man, and to be healed in the process is just icing on the cake. Yes, that's what he asked for. But Jesus, in all his wisdom, looked at the man and knew that's not what he needed. It's not what he needed. We have to follow Jesus' example and touch the lives of sinners. This may mean listening. This may mean meeting practical needs or simply being a friend of a lonely person. Sure, if we touch people, we might risk them pulling away from us or not accepting us. And However, if we never touch the lives of people, we'll never truly know what it is to be moved with compassion. We never experience the fulfillment of watching a life being transformed. Isn't that worth it? Isn't that worth it? Isn't that worthy of touching somebody? It's simple to love people by stretching out and touching someone. Jesus did one more thing. Jesus spoke. The verse says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and then said unto him, I will be thou clean. Jesus loves this guy so much that he took time to talk with him, to enter his space, which he never should have been, to touch the guy he never should have touched, then has a conversation with a man. He never should have been close enough to to talk to. In order to convey Jesus' loves to, love to others, we must be willing to be the voice of Jesus and the word of God to people. As we do this, we fully experience the compassion of Jesus flowing through us. Isn't it ridiculous how simple it is to love people? These are simple things. Stretch out. Touch. Talk to somebody. Get out of your comfort zone. These are the easy, simple ways. And once again, this kind of love that we're talking about requires you, notice each one of these steps were done by Jesus. They were steps of love. Required him to empty out of himself, to empty out of his fear of getting leprosy. Jesus was a man just like me and you. He could have caught something. I understand he's the son of God and we can argue about that all day. I don't want to argue about that. But he still had a fleshly body. He was subject to pain. He was subject to to sickness, like all of us. And yet Jesus got out of his comfort zone. To love people like this will cost you something. And it means doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, regardless of how they do you back. To have compassion, you must be willing to look on their pain and feel it along with them. And then be willing to be moved by that action, by that compassion, excuse me, you're willing to be moved to action by that compassion. That's what I meant to say. And to stretch out, you must be willing to enter their world, leaving your comfortable one behind. To touch, it will cost you your preferences and your rights. They may not smell like the way you like. They may not have manners. They may not be polished. They may not talk like you talk, or they may not like what you like. But if you're going to love people, you must touch them, embracing them in their current condition no matter what that may be, regardless of what people will say about you. And to speak to someone will cost you time and a cup of coffee, or maybe two. I don't know. But it means you'll have to be willing to be seen with them. It will cost you. It will cost part of you. It will cost you your reputation. Jesus was called a drunkard and a friend of sinners because he was always found with what society labeled as the worst, eating and drinking with them accepting them, loving them. Jesus got a reputation for that, and that's what they called him. What do people call you? What do you have a reputation for? Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for today and I thank you for this word. I thank you for the challenge that you issued not only to the people of that time, but Lord, the challenge that you're issuing to our hearts today. To love people the way you love people. To get out of our comfort zones. To stretch out. To touch. Embrace people. Love them right where they are. (laughs) To spend time with them, God. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, that every religious bone in our body, you would challenge. Every judgmental bone in our body, you would challenge and you would actually just get rid of so that we could learn to love the way Jesus loved. Help us, God. Forgive us, God. We repent before you, God. Holy Spirit, teach us the ways to love. Teach us in our individual lives, not just things that we need to do. Give us guiding principles, ways to live our lives in such a way that we love people, regardless of how they love us back. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and you don't know Jesus, you don't know this kind of love, this is your first time or maybe you've heard it over and over again and you've never responded to the love of God. And today you want to change that. Today you want to respond because today you've heard something different. Today you believe that Jesus' love is for you regardless of your current state, regardless of how you sin, regardless of where you've been or what you've done. Jesus loves you. And God, the Father, loves you as well. If you'd like to make that commitment and say, Jesus, be Lord of my life today, would you just put your hand up and let us know that you're here? Nobody's looking at you. I don't want to embarrass you. I won't make you come up front. Just slip your hand up and let us know. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you. And you need to know that the moment that you confess Christ... You're as sure on your way to heaven as if you're already there. That your sins are forgiven. That you're washed clean and you get to start today new. That's no simple thing. That's an amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing. And it's something to be celebrated. So today, for those of you who put your hands up, I would challenge you to tell a loved one, to tell a friend, gave my heart to Jesus today and I'm going to start living different I'm going to live the way he shows me to I'm going to read my Bible I'm going to get connected with the church I'm going to love God I'm going to love people and next week you're going to come back because next week you're going to learn how to serve the world Lord I pray for those that raised their hands this morning I ask in Jesus name that you would flood their life with your love That they would encounter it in such a way, Lord, that they could not deny its power. Wash them clean, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name to show them how to live their lives every day. Amen.